Welcome, everyone. This is Russ Galzo of Chronicles of the End Times. Thank you for joining me today as we continue our study in the book of Revelation. We're going to be looking at chapter 3, and we're going to be studying the church of Laodicea. And as we have discussed before, many theologians and Bible scholars agree that these letters to these churches are also a timeline in the Church of Jesus Christ, and that the Laodicean church that we're going to look at today is the last of those churches, and it also falls into the time in which we live now, the 20th and 21st century. So let's take a look at the text. Let's read it, beginning with verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, and that you are neither cold nor hot, and I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, and I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Those whom I love I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. To he who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, here's another powerful letter. And this time there are a lot of rebukes in this letter. And this church is in deep trouble. And it sounds a little bit like some of the churches that are around today where Christianity has prospered in America, and now many churches have a wealth of money at their disposal, and maybe many of them are falling away, and they don't have the love and the fervor that they once had. You know, it's a shame, but it is human nature. When we have a lot, we don't really need God for anything. You know, we can reach in our bank accounts and pay for this and pay for that, and Sometimes we can bury our misery, you know, by going shopping or getting a new car or whatever the case may be. It's a way that we use our own resources to try to uh, take care of spiritual problems, spiritual matters. And lots of times we see this in the church. And the prophetic time frame of the Laodicean church is the 20th and 21st century, obviously where we live in this time and place. And so the Laodicean church is the church that says they have everything and have need of nothing. Now, I'm not saying every church is like that, for surely every church isn't like that. In fact, the church that my family and I are going to now that we help get started is a very down-to-earth, humble church, but God is using it in a mighty way, and there's not a lot of uh, resources financially, uh, but God has been taking care of every need. So you may go to a church like that. You may belong to a church like that, and God is really moving and is, is vibrant in that fellowship, and I hope that's so. 
We see the number seven come up a lot in these letters. We're talking about the seven spirits of God, seven candlesticks. Using the seven over and over again, there's seven churches that he directs these letters to. Seven is a letter in the Bible that represents completeness. It's complete. Seven is a complete number. So you see that Jesus has the seven spirits of God, which means he's totally complete. He has the fullness of the Holy Spirit is in him through him. These seven letters represent the seven churches that are not only historically in a timeline, prophetically, but they are also representative of each age. So that you'll find these churches similar to these churches in every church age. And so let's take a look at the Laodicean church. It was named after Laodice, the wife of King Antiochus II. You know, it was a very wealthy business center, famous for medicines and eye ointment and eye salve. And Laodicea did not have a water supply, interesting enough. The water came from about six miles away. And by the time the water got to the town, it was a little lukewarm. And so you see how Jesus, when he writes these letters, just like the other ones, he directs it to the people and so they can understand He draws these parallels. Remember, like we talked about before, like when he talked to the fishermen about being fishers of men. He talked to the farmers about planting seed, and he talks about the harvest. And so Jesus is a great storyteller. He's a great relater. And so here, once again, he's relating to the people. He's telling them, you know what? I think you should go out and you should buy from me eye salve to put on your eyes and your ears. So you can see and you can hear spiritual things. He's talking about you already use this eye salve and this eye ointment for yourself, trying to heal yourself of whatever things might be wrong with you. But I'm telling you, you need the spiritual eye salve and the spiritual ear ointment so you can see and you can hear these things I'm telling you and understand them. And he talks about them neither being hot or cold. You know, and isn't that huge today? in this country especially. Because there are some of us that, you know, we just want to go to church with our family and we just want to be comfortable and, you know, and make sure they have all the right programs and the preacher preaches the right thing and sing, they sing the right songs. And we don't want to stick out in the community. But that is exactly what Jesus Christ wants us to do. He wants us to stick out in the community, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Our deeds should be known to people You know, not that we're bragging, but they should, you know, we should just do these things and people will notice them and they will realize, well, there's something different about you and the way we conduct ourselves, the way we speak to people. You know, there's an old saying, and I'm sure you've heard it, that if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for everything. And I think that's so true today. And so we need to stand for the things that matter. And what are they? Our testimony that Jesus Christ saved our lives and changed our lives and how he did it. We need to share that. And we need to love people. You let God judge people. That's his gig. That's his thing. We are to love people and present the gospel to them. Whether they accept it or not, or whether they like us or not, or love us or hate us, you know, that's up to them. But it's our job to present the gospel. We are the salt. We are the light of the world, Jesus tells us. So if we're not put up on a hill, if we lose our saltiness, 
you know, those attributes of light and salt, if we lose those, then what are we? We're just somebody else with some good ideas, trying to make people better with self-help programs or whatever. No, that's not it. We know it's a miracle. It's the power of God that changes people. That's it. Whatever is at your disposal, you know, talk to your neighbors. You don't talk to your relatives. Just share your testimony. These are the things that are important. And here in the church of Laodicea, they were just lukewarm. They had money. They were comfortable. They weren't really under any persecution. And you can kind of see why. They probably, you know, did everything they could do to stay out of trouble and not be in anybody's way and not get too Jesus crazy. You know, this is part of being lukewarm. And there's an example that uh, in 60 AD, they suffered a really major earthquake in Laodicea. And they refused assistance from Rome. Rome said, you know, we'll help you rebuild. And their response to Rome was, we are wealthy and in need of nothing. So you see, once again, Jesus uses their own statement against them. And he tells them, you say, you know, I'm telling you, this is what you need to do. But you're telling me we're wealthy and we don't need anything. We look at scriptures like James chapter 5, 1 through 6. I think it's important that, you know, we should read that right now because it's very, very powerful uh, scripture about the days that we live in. It says, now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming upon you. Your wealth has rotted and the moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workmen who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on the earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. Wow. And that's the book of James, chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. James doesn't pull any punches there. And we can see that, yeah, you know, in this world we live in today, there are many, many billionaires. You know, when I started this study and started preaching this way back in 1994, I remember picking up a a magazine of Forbes, you know, uh, Forbes Worth. It showed uh, the top 500 wealthiest people in the world. And uh, most of those were millionaires. There were a few billionaires on there. But now, today, it's all billionaires. There's no millionaires on there. If you're a millionaire, sorry, you didn't make the list. It's all billionaires. And it's just amazing the wealth that people have accumulated. Now, yes, some of those people are doing some great things with their wealth, but many, many of them are not. They're turning their backs on the needs of many people and just feeding themselves and, you know, buying that second, third house and, you know, the fleet of boats and whatever else they, their indulgence wants, you know. So it's a day in which we live. We live better in the United States than most kings and queens lived hundreds of years ago. I mean, that's just the way it is, you know. Even those of us who are are in the middle class, you know, we're in the in-between. We're still living better. We should thank God for everything we have because the things that we have are amazing. 
And those of you might say, well, you know, what's wrong with money? I know Christians, you know, they have a lot of money. They're helping a lot of people. There's nothing wrong with it. That's an individual thing. You know, no one is going to judge somebody else. Only God's going to do that. Having some money is a good thing. We all have to pay our bills and take care of our families, and we should have money to give to the work of God. Very, very important. Jesus begins to show them, look, you think you have this, you think you have that, but you're blind and you're naked. You know, you're pitiful. He means really just laying it out. He says, you don't know, you don't understand. You're looking with the wrong eyes. And still today, people are judged that way. If you don't have money, things aren't going well, you know, maybe you're a big sinner. Maybe you're not really following God the way you should. We shouldn't judge like that because what God sees is just the opposite. You know, he might see people pulling up in a really nice car. They seem like they all got it together. But we don't know. God may be saying you're poor, pitiful, naked, and blind. God's riches are different. They're spiritual riches. And spiritual riches can turn into physical riches. God can bless people, and he does bless people who follow him. Here we have a real example of what's happening in our century, in our time. And so we need to refocus, constantly refocus. What am I looking for? What are my goals? You know, we need to continually redefine what our goals are. The blood of Jesus Christ is the righteousness that we need. The scriptures say in Zechariah chapter 3 that our righteousness is like filthy rags. You know, it's disgusting. We are good deeds and all that we are. Lots of times churches today are socially minded. You know, they do social programs, which is wonderful. I mean, I'm part of uh, ministry myself that helps, you know, the homeless and those who don't have things. But that can't be the sole drive. We can't say, well, look, you know, I do this and I do that and therefore I am righteous. I do good things. We know that's not true. You know, the government does nice things too once in a while. They have programs to help feed people and clothe people. It's not all bad what goes on in Washington. You know, there's some things in place that really help people. But that does that mean that that's righteousness? No, they're righteous acts that go along with walking with Christ. But walking with Christ is first. That's where we get our righteousness from. And he ends this letter in a most beautiful way. He said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears and opens the door, I will fellowship with him. That is the best news that you and I could ever have. He stands at the door and knocks even right now. And if you need Christ to come into your life, and you're in a place where you're not sure where you are, just speak with him. Because he wants to fellowship with you. Don't you realize that he wants to come in and have dinner with you, hang out with you? That's really what he does. Remember, that's what he did on the beach with the disciples after he rose from the dead. Not even counting all the times that they sat down and had fellowship before he was crucified and before he rose from the dead. Even after that, he wanted them to know that, yeah, this is still me. This is still my heart. I want to sit with you guys on the beach here. We're cooking some fish and we're going to sit around and we're going to talk. Jesus loved fellowship. He died on the cross for fellowship. That's really what it is. How simple can we make it? 
Yes, his blood cleansed us from sin. Yes, we need to confess our sins and walk with him. This is all true. But let's just break it down to the simplest form. He died on the cross to hang out with you and me. That's what it's all about. And he can't really hang out with you and me until we're clothed in the righteousness of the blood of Jesus Christ. Once that's done, he just wants to hang out with us, talk with us. He wants us to know more about him, get comfortable with him, get more faith in him, more trust in him. And then he says to those who do that, who overcome this world and its craziness, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just like I'm sitting on my father's throne. Wow. I mean, we can't even fathom that. You and I can't even begin to fathom what that's going to be like. Here we are, these poor ragged people, each one of us, no matter what we have. We have nothing when it comes to God. And then he comes into our lives. He changes our lives and makes us rich in him. And then he says, you know what? This is not just about spirituality. This is not about just things you can't see. Because when you overcome I'm going to give you some things you can see. You're going to sit with me on my throne. And you're going to rule and reign with me forever and ever. Folks, if that doesn't rock your soul, then you need to take a good look at where you're at. Because that, to me, is what I'm looking forward to. Very, very exciting. God is an incredible, creative person. You know, we create things all the time and we pat ourselves on the back for it. But yet most of us don't want to give credit where credit is due that our Heavenly Father is the creator. And those gifts that we have, he gave to us. We didn't get them ourselves. They're inbred in us from our Heavenly Father. So we need to give him glory and give him thanks for every gift he gives us. And if you don't know what your gift is today, you talk to him. He will reveal what it is because he's given gifts to everyone. This is Russ Galzo, Chronicles of the End Times. So glad you're with us today. Next, we go to chapter four and we talk about the things that come after this. It's very exciting because these are the things that come after the church age that we're about to see and about to experience in the Word of God. See you next time with Chapter 4. God bless.